Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 114. And in this episode, because I'm traveling tomorrow, um, I will also have a longer interview slash consultation recording with an athlete that was looking for preseason and winter training tips and being indoors and knowing that uh, a lot of the training will be compromised due to the winter months. And so we dive a little bit into that. And we talk about uh, prepping for 29029, which he is doing in Vermont. So I look forward to adding that to the end of this um, episode. But yeah, we dive into our usual topics with regards to ultra endurance and what this is all about and how to maintain some sort of sanity while we're putting in the type of training and commitment that many of you do in endurance training and ultra endurance lifestyle despite having a busy career, despite being busy with family and other commitments. Because as we always say, we went pro in something other than this sport, this hobby, this lifestyle, we're also embracing. And so it's important to maintain some sort of sanity with it. Um, We can easily take ourselves way too seriously as we strive to be that best athletic version of ourselves. But again, that best athletic version of ourselves is the current best athletic version of ourselves, where we're doing our best, where we're trying to squeeze out the best current possible self, and therefore not judging ourselves or beating ourselves up or yearning for something that's not realistic, given who we are in the current space of our life, with family, with commitments, with career, with learning, with growth, with all those things. Life gets in the way. And so there's many, many days where we're stuck or we're trying to determine or trying to figure out what we're going to do with our training, how we're going to fit it all in. And the main thing there is just do a little something every day. Stay connected to that endurance, to that aerobic output, to that zone two work, to laying some sort of foundation because it is way better to do something than nothing, as we know. And those little accumulations add up to a load and a morning and an evening or a lunchtime and that's it. And other things are adding to our stress and our load of the day. So it's okay as long as we get that blood flowing every day, hopefully, as long as we check in with ourselves every day, spend some time going inwards, doing a body scan, breathing heavy getting the blood flowing, getting the heart rate up, and sort of having a little bit of an exhale. For many of us, that might only be 10, 15 minutes by the time we're warmed up and settled into, ah, there it is, training, feeling the body move and alive and breathing heavy and heart pumping and so forth. So, but for others, it's, it's more time. But either way, checking in with yourself and not every day will we have the opportunity to go inward. We might have too many things going on in our lives. Yesterday, I was on a bike ride. And yes, I have the luxury to do that during the day. I was on a three-hour bike ride and I was excited to sort of, you know, listen to a podcast and sort of let my mind wander off and go inwards and just sort of think for a while and just let it all flow. Well, it didn't happen. (laughs) It just wasn't happening. It didn't come. And so I just ended up listening to music and accepting 
that today I'm not going inward. It's not, it's not happening in its own natural creative way. And so those days for sure happen. And hopefully I'll get a chance, another chance at some point this week to sort of connect inwards. And of course, I had a chance to do a body scan. Of course, I had a chance to feel good and go harder and maintain integrity on the bike and start rebuilding fitness after a variety of weeks of limited training due to the ribs. But ever so gently, ever so slowly, the platform is re-emerging. The foundation is building itself up again. And I'm starting to see a glimpse of being able to do some bigger training as we head towards Qatar. But that's the thing too. That's understanding that there are no bad repetitions, right? There are no bad workouts if, if, that's a big qualifying if, if we're out there doing it and doing it intentionally and thoughtfully and with purpose and clarity, right? We've talked about this before, but we don't want bad reps. We don't want bad workouts by just mindlessly going through the motions and checking a box, whether in training peaks so that the color turns green or in your own notes or own logging methodology. They can be, it can be um, thoughtless with regards to no intervals or no prescription, but it can't be thoughtless with thinking about technique and footwork and posture and just Sinking that up a little bit every day. If you're on a 30-minute run, that's all you have time for today. But you ran smart and light on your feet. By the way, smart, I mean by pacing. You ran light on your feet. You reconnected the chain. You were attentive to how your foot is landing, where your foot is landing, how you're sweeping, how you're engaging hamstrings, how you're engaging glutes. And if you can't, let's say you're not um, able to feel that, that's fine. But add a little bit more to the chain. Oh, how do my calves feel? I can't really isolate my hamstrings. But how do my knees feel? How do my hips feel? How do my glutes feel? How do my... Um, feet and toes feel in the shoes? Are they getting extension? Are they getting a good landing? Am I landing soft? There's so many ways to go through that thoughtful process of a good repetition, meaning a good workout, that there's plenty to pull from it. And so we want no bad reps. We want no thoughtless training, but we want to have training where we're still pulling some sort of value and some sort of growth and progression out of it. And again, not a lot of time, but it's just getting in something thoughtful, intentional, clarity, and purpose on each day. And from that, you will build a fitness level that is sustainable, that is long-lasting, right? That is surprising that when you apply it, you're like, wow, that's deeper than I thought it was based off of the volume and the training I've done. So allow that to happen. Allow that to settle in, right? So, but also keep in mind, here's another thing, and this just, I wanted to dive into as a separate topic, but this ties in with the, with the other aspect of how we're going through bad reps. We don't want bad reps, but also if the tension of your day, the stress of your day doesn't allow you to really pull that focus and intention out of the workout or the training session, 
right? We need to clear the mind. And so even then, if you're clearing your mind and giving yourself maybe just two or three minutes of those 30 minutes, where you finally connect, where you finally feel your body, that's fine. Because tension will diminish technique. If we're trying too hard, if we're pushing too hard, if we're searching too hard to that connection with regards to footwork and technique and posture and landing and all that, we don't want that to therefore compromise our form. We don't want that to compromise our ability to run efficient, efficiently and economically or cycle or swim. So relax, exhale, allow it to come to you. Remember, tension will diminish technique. And I want you to focus, yes, but I don't want you to be uptight about it. I want you to be have intention, but I don't want it to limit or diminish your technique because you're searching or grasping it for it too tightly. I want you to race or do the event or do that purposeful training, purposeful practice with intention, but not tight. Not Don't take the tension. There you go. Take the tension out of intention. Um, I don't want you doing it tight because then technique will not allow itself to mem um, work itself in your memory banks as well as it'll be harder to connect with it. So don't let tension diminish technique. It's a very common term in golfing. Um, and so you want to be relaxed and allow the body to do its movements naturally and then observe and then feel. So first do your running, cycling, swimming, let it happen naturally, um, how your body sort of expresses itself, and then notice what you're doing and make the subtle adjustments. So, all right, well, this has been a busy week as well for me. Um, a lot of athletes doing a lot of different events. It's been pretty exciting um, this week, especially um, with Wasatch 100, with Tour de Guyance this week. Um, I, always, I never know how to say that, Tour de Giants or Tour de Giants. As a German, I say the G as a G, but <laughs> I'll hope um, that I'm not butchering it too bad. 70.3 Worlds with a variety of athletes in Nice. Um, Santa Cruz this week with a variety of athletes. Swim Run Solo World Championships. I have an athlete going there. I'm doing that. Then there's Race to the Rock, a 3,000-kilometer unsupported um, gravel bike ride that starts this weekend, um, which I have an athlete doing, and I'm excited to see her really sort of shine with her new level of fitness. And we had a long call the other day going over the difficulty of unsupported and what she's carrying and the workload and some of the sections being 300 miles without water and how to manage through that and how to find water and how to what to avoid our sleep strategy because it's continuous just like tour de guillance um so that's exciting i had my ad athlete leave for everest this week um, which i couldn't be more excited for him to get on onto the mountain and sort of just take it all in because again he is so fit and so ready i'm excited for him to feel that fitness and and let that flow and it'll take a little bit he'll be up there for a few weeks before his window for the um, final ascent opens up so that'll be fun to watch from afar 
And then one of my athletes is doing his big stand-up paddle endurance event, that 11-city tour. Not really tour, it's a race. Um, but, you know, five days, um, like 50K a day. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's awesome. And some of the videos of this online are just so cool to see. So I'm excited to see him do that. He has trained for a year straight with this intention and purpose in mind. And I would say he is incredibly fit as well. And he's feeling really good. So I'm, I can't wait to observe that. We had some discussions there too. So what a fun time in that respect. But yeah, and it's it's across the board, whether um, Olympic distance racing next week is um, not um, Malibu and the long course and the short course. And so a variety of athletes racing there. So that'll keep us busy as well. But yeah, and Santa Cruz is a fun local race, but there's always great competition and the conditions as cool with the morning fog allow you to just attack that course um, through and through. So it's going to be a busy weekend of sitting in Salt Lake City where I'm going for the weekend um, to watch the Vans Skateboarding World Championships with my son. I have an athlete who was... Um, um, who brought the world championships to Salt Lake City. He's a politician in that area. And so um, he invited me and my son Jasper out there so that we get a chance to take in this inaugural event at this brand new skate park that they built there in Salt Lake City. And so Tony Hawk on site and all the world's best skateboarders from the Pro Tour. And it's the only facility in North America that is Olympic certified, meaning it fits the qualifications and the dimensions for the new Olympic sport skateboarding in the 2020 um, Olympics. So that's pretty exciting in Tokyo. But yeah, so that's where I'll be this weekend. So I will not. I will fly out tomorrow morning, first thing Friday morning tomorrow, and I will be on the road. So I wanted to get this recorded and get this out there and get that interview out there so that we have some good content to share amongst each other. And speaking of sharing, um, as I talked about last week, um, it's been great. I had a few coaches reach out and share some great insights with racing and prep for events. And that is so awesome. Um, in a lot of ways, our sport of whether it's triathlon or um, endurance events or mountain biking or cycling or ultra running or um, ultra swimming or anything in this realm is sort of um, fragmented and there's a lot of knowledge of so many coaches out there that if we can create a, a bigger community and an openness to sharing an open source aspect to it you know it's only a benefit for more people to do endurance events which then just creates this better environment so i'm excited to share an email from another coach in that sense of community and in that sense of sharing. And so here it is. In one of your recent podcasts, you asked for tips for any events we've done. I recently coached an athlete to a successful Leadville 100 mountain bike race. During our post-race analysis, we discussed some training techniques that could have made his race even better. So that even right there is a great tidbit because the post-race analysis and then, despite it going successfully, having that discussion around how it could have gone better. What a fantastic um, approach and insight. 
And that ties into the journaling exercise I was talking about last week. Things might have gone well. Things might have gone according to plan and strategy and expectation. But then also thinking, wow, with the knowledge of how it went, with the success of how it went, now looking at it from the angle of even out of that, what could I have done better? Where could I have improved? Where is there some low-hanging fruit that I could easily train smarter, not more, train better, not more, right, in the future? And basically, what that's what a good post-race download is. As many of my athletes know, I have them write down all their information, everything they observed, and partially it comes to talking about what we could have been done better. But I must say, this is a great learning opportunity for me too, to ask that prompting question. Despite a race going well, I'll ask the question when the race is, when, we're, when I can tell the client is yearning for more, as in what went wrong or how we could have done better and not meeting expectations. But a successful race where expectations were met, that is a whole new angle that I'm excited to um, apply as well. So I already appreciate that. Before we get to that, a little background. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I don't have any mountainous mountain bike trails for training in the Leadville area, like the Leadville race. Most of this athlete's training was done on a road bike or on a bike trainer. He did do a training camp on the Leadville course, which also, by the way, is fantastic. A lot of Leadville runners, as well as Leadville cyclists, had the opportunity for these training camps. And I know the Leadville runners definitely head up for their three, four day weekend of training up there. And how fantastic. It's a beautiful opportunity to spend some time on the course that they're preparing for. And besides obvious reasons on why that's beneficial, also doing your course, doing your distances, doing partial distances of your event on the course, you get to enjoy it differently. There is no pressure of the competition. So you just get to embrace your fitness, nature, your surroundings, other athletes that are at the training camp with you. And you have a glorious or you have the potential for a glorious experience. So I would always recommend an opportunity to do these type of um, scouting trips slash uh, organized training courses, uh, camps that they put on at the events. Um, because again, it allows you to really soak in what you're training for in a non-competitive, non-measured, non-pressure-packed environment. So, um, so he shared tips for training for Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Include some trail hiking in the training plan. There are some sections on the Leadville course that are very steep and will require hiking with the bike. I say the same thing for the run. Um, in many of the western states, Rocky Mountain Rocky Mountains, um, 100-mile runs, you're predominantly hiking. <laughs> There's a lot of hiking happening. Wasatch, I have an athlete racing this weekend. Um, I also prepared him mentally for 60% of the time to be hiking. It's frustrating when you have expectations that you are going to slash run a 100-mile uh, running race, but you're actually hiking a lot of it and then running when there's runnable sections. So sim similar here, include, um, include some hiking with your bike in the training plan. 
His athlete was surprised how awkward he felt trying to hike his bike up the steep inclines. Not only that, but keep in mind, when you're stuck behind people on single tracks, it's sometimes um, more difficult to stay on your bike, awkward because you're going that slow or they're hiking their bike and you think you can ride by and it becomes confusion and difficulty. So instead, yes, learn to hike with your bike is a great input and reminder. Work on grip, hand and forearm strength. His athlete said the descent from Columbine was very tough on his hands and forearms. He wasn't used to so much braking and the impact from fast rocky descending. Another great point and very specific to that aspect of mountain bike racing, as well as long hours on a mountain bike. In general, also on gravel biking, um, people get tired in different spots than they think on long gravel grinders and so forth. And then finally, the Leadville training camp was very helpful. Having seen the course was reassuring. We already discussed. That makes a big difference because of also, again, getting to enjoy it and coming back with a positive mindset, no matter how fit you are, but a positive mindset of what the beauty and the prep and what you're doing all the sacrifice for is worth it. So, well, Tommy Johnson, triple threat, uh, excuse me, triple threat tough coaching is his business and um yeah he's out of clearly out of dallas texas area so he's an endurance sports coach down there and um thank you for that i really appreciate that and again sharing information like this and having as many people benefit as possible is exactly a forum a platform a community that i want to create that we want to create not just me we all of us benefiting from walking sunny through his first marathon from helping people with a leadville mountain bike race race to understanding nutrition and hydration better from your first 50k to your first um, triathlon we're going to go through all that and that's just going to keep going on this platform and the more you all are interacting with me which i have really seen exponentially rise over the last few uh, months year where it's become really interactive and i even have some ideas around that how we can make it more interactive possibly with other coaches and talking with them on this and maybe having an opportunity i'd love to hear your feedback by the way um if maybe i have or call another coach and we go through some of the email questions together so we can get some different perspectives my perspectives on, on how I would coach that and maybe another coach. And again, just expanding the amount of knowledge we're sharing in order for the athletes, all of you, the listeners to benefit. So um, we'll see on that. But anyway, thanks, Tommy, for that. And I really appreciate it. I have gotten a lot of questions and I keep bringing it up with regards to the five by one mile information or heart rate zones that I send out and many of my athletes as well as those of you that have sent in your data that I've sent back your heart rate zones have um, seen that I write retest at a certain heart rate and what the retest means is that you go out and you do a five mile one mile repeats with the one minute rest but at that specific heart rate and we do that as a monthly check-in I would do it once a month and make sure that we have um, a consistent tight heart rate zone that I've listed 
because um, it's usually below zone four, a good ways below zone four, and it often is locked in very tight, five beats, three beats, so that we can retest and capture that data month after month after month. And of course, what should be happening and what will be happening if you do the training right, there's no doubt in my mind, is at that heart rate, your times at the five by one mile repeat will come down. Now, the heart rate is high enough that it's a good solid effort, but it's nothing too taxing. It's not 100%. It's not best effort. It should feel pretty good there. It's the top end of zone three. So you're running in a good um, powerful stride. You're not holding back. You're not running awkward. You're running on the on a light on your feet because you're running fast. And it is taxing. Nothing you can't recover from with a minute rest, as well as nothing you won't quickly recover from after that workout, as well as nothing that you need a lot of rest for. So um, that's what the retest is. It's designed to be a measurable um, retest that you do on your own at a, at, a, at a heart rate level that's below threshold, LT, and one that is repeatable, measurable, feels pretty good, doesn't require a change in form or stride or anything like that, and could be charted over time. Back when I did it, um, I used to do it monthly with a, a group of athletes that I trained with, that I also coached, but that was one of my original groups. And we would meet at the track every Tuesday, I remember it was. And once a month, every fourth Tuesday or whatever it turned out to be, once a month, um, we would do this repeat test. And then we would chart it old school in an Excel spreadsheet. And yeah, we would watch the times come down. And athletes became very, not addicted to it, but they really enjoyed doing it because A, it's not hard enough to really create that fear and anxiety, but it feels good at those heart rate zones. And it doesn't create like, oh, did my times drop? It is what it is. We do it frequently enough that it feels right. It's a good workout still. It still integrates into the rest of our training plan. And in most cases, people just incrementally improved at that heart rate. Now you can't cheat. That's the hard part um, to say, all right, I'm feeling good. I'm curious if I let this creep up a little bit, right above those three to five beats. And then next thing you know, you're at threshold. That's not the purpose, as well as there's different energy systems in play once you creep into threshold. The fact that this is at the upper side of tempo is um, has a variety of benefits, and uh, we want to keep it there. And again, for your own benefit and for your own charting and information and data, you don't want to make it uh, too wide of a heart rate range for arbitrary data. So that's what the retest is. And... Most just do it on their own and find their monthly time. It doesn't have to be on the exact day every month, but um, you want the lead-in of workouts to be somewhat consistent. I usually do it um, on a Tuesday afternoon with athletes having a Monday rest day and maybe a morning session on Tuesday if they have the time. And then that way, they're sort of already in the week and it's not really the first workout where they might be a little bit lethargic from the rest day or whatever that means. Um, because what I, what I mean by that, whatever that means, um, that 
feeling and insight and sensation play a big factor in this. And by having done a workout to sort of shake off those cobwebs, later in the day, they feel better to engage into some effort and work and measurable outcomes. So, all right, that's the retest. I'm trying to figure out what kind of watch to get next. My polar um, is on the tail end of its abilities slash battery life slash um, <laughs> just capabilities. It's been used in a variety of uh, long events, uh, all kinds of different events, and it needs some um, help. And what I mean by that is, I guess the circuits might be getting a little fried or the connections on where it charges are getting a little worn down because um, when I try to charge it, it's not very happy with me. I need to clamp it down really hard so that the, the connections actually connect to the battery and therefore make it work properly, meaning make it charge properly. So I'm trying to figure out and I'd love to get some input, but I'm also going to get both these watches and test them. I'm going to get the Garmin, the Phoenix, um, get a good sense on it and how it works. And I'm going to also going to get one of these Coros Vertex watches. Um, the battery life on the Coros, Soros, I'm not sure even how it's said, C-O-R-O-S, um, looks amazing. I mean, 150 hours at, you know, a lower energy output, but that's still plenty. It looks like a solid big number of hours, even at the full output of, I think it's like 70 hours. So um, I got turned on to the watch by a couple of guys wearing them with me at um, 29029. And we were 35, 36 hours in, and they were still recording data. Um, I will say it was sort of funny, because two guys that um, were with me, um, Billy and <laughs> and Rich, I think. I'm not sure who it was, but when their auto stop or their manual stop and they forgot to restart and the watch went to save workout automatically mode and then reset, the um, primal uh, yell um, or groan or moan coming from the guys when that happened and now they had to um, figure out on their Strava files or on their upload or whatever they were doing <laughs> on how to string in the remaining peaks that they had to get with how many more times up the mountain was sort of amusing to observe and watch. I didn't take any time of my ascents. I took the first one and then I switched my polar over to just being a watch and then I sort of guesstimated what each ascent took me and what we're on pace for and how I could sort of budget a lot time going into the night and such. So, but anyway, those are the two watches that I'm uh, going to give a whirl. And if you guys have any recommendations or thoughts about those, I'd love to hear them. But anything that has that type of battery life, I'm curious as to um, what it can do. And um, yeah, I'm excited to try those out. So it's the Coros Vertex and the Garmin Phoenix. So I'm not going to be wearing both at the same time. Don't worry about that. Um, I'm not that guy. Uh, <laughs> I'll try them both out. I'll use them for a little bit. Compare what I like about it. I'm a pretty simple watch guy. Um, a lot of the watches that are out there, they have so many more functions that I'm capable of understanding. 
and also that I feel a need to use. So, and I realize you guys are both, you guys are both, you guys are probably saying both those watches, Chris, have functions, way more functions than what you need. I agree. But what I usually do with the watches that I wear, I strip the, the, the displays down to the simplest aspects. And with that, if that saves battery life, great. Um, and then use and, and look and see and apply data from those fields that I need. And I'll set those up manually or, you know, on their site. But of course, it's always nice to have the extra data afterwards if you need to sort, find, figure something out through a history. But again, also the interaction between the watch and the software and the computer software and how you're analyzing, whether it's on your phone or on a laptop, all is part of what I'm curious to learn more about. Now, Garmin, obviously, I'm pretty familiar with due to all so many of my athletes using it and I have a Garmin as my bike computer. But um, yeah, it'll be fun to play around with those um, watches a little bit. So Amazon will be busy delivering those <laughs> in the next um, few days. And so whether I keep them both, um, I doubt. Um, I'm, I'm not going to keep both. So I'll figure out um, a way to test them and get a good idea and see what I like. And I will, of course, share that here and then uh, probably send one back. I know that sounds sort of lame or cheap, but again, I don't need two, six, seven, eight hundred dollar watches, nine hundred dollar watches. So, yeah, that's that. All right. So, I had a consultation with a gentleman called Jason, Jason Billows, and he is a uh, getting ready for not only 29029, but he was curious with regards to getting through a winter of training. So let me dive into that. Um, Ottawa, Canada, summer's coming to the end and it's time to start thinking about winter training. He's done five Ironmans, three times Lake Placid, two times Montreblanc, and he's planning to do Montreblanc in 2020. He stopped Ironman in 2011, and after my first three Ironmans when my son was born and just returned to triathlon last year, did Montreblanc last year and this year, great experiences, but I was there to finish and have a good time. Now I have my, I have stoked my desire to train and challenge myself more to see what I can accomplish with a full year of hard work and focused training. He's turning 50 in March, just like I'm turning 50 in a few weeks, well, in December. <laughs> Sorry to throw that in there. Um, he runs some big, successful businesses and has an amazing family. Kids are six and eight. His wife did her first Ironman last week. Awesome. And my kids love doing one and 2K events and kids try. So they're fully living it. Makes it a little easier when daddy's on the trainer um, and the kids actually understand, know what he's doing and getting ready for it because both mom and dad did something pretty big a few weeks ago just recovering this week from Montreblanc, but start preparing and starting to prepare for 29029 in vermont this october so i will see him there so here's what he was looking for in the console i'd like guidance on what event specific training i should do for 29029 we discussed that um, i'd also like guidance on how to structure my winter training program to significantly improve my bike while also improving my run and swim. We dove into that a little bit, but I wouldn't say I 
we came up with a set plan on how to significantly improve bike. But again, you'll hear as we talk through it. Also embrace zone two training, enjoyed going long and slow, but I need to learn how to incorporate power and speed work into my training. My hope is to train myself over the winter and then start coaching one-on-one -on -one with you in March. Well, that'd be great. But again, this consult and how we're talking and you can hear isn't about prepping for coaching. It's as I said to a consult yesterday, as well as with Jason here, um, the, the best way to go to focus through the winter in a climate that's not conducive to training, i.e. indoors, a lot of trainer time, a lot of treadmill time. Maybe you can run a bit outdoors with, you know, some yak tracks and the roads are clear, but it's just dark. It's dark a lot and it's cold, it's wet, etc. So for those climates, it's as I talked about last winter, it's about kicking out of the winter with the best possible given fitness of who you usually are how you're preparing for the spring that you can upload up work up train from that point to a bigger level without it being too shocking on creating a platform a structure a muscular structure that allows you to kick out of the winter and absorb the load that's about to come towards you so strength work repetitions um, strong chassis everything ready in prep for when that sun starts creeping over the hills um, because it's higher on the sky. And that's the focus for all of us in the winter. Well, not all of us. Being here in California, that's a little bit easier. But um, in general, in those climates, in those locations, if, you're, if you have to train in that for five, six months, which many of us, many of you have to do, that's what I would always recommend. We don't want to put too much burden on ourselves in the winter. It's hard to stay motivated and we don't want to suck the energy, the passion, the joy, the fun out of it by sitting on a trainer in a basement for four hours, right? And staring at a wall or even at a TV because even that time moves very slow and it could be the best Netflix series, but eventually sitting on a trainer for four hours is still sitting on the trainer for four hours. I think subconsciously we know, dude, you're not going anywhere. But um, so we talk a good ways about that. Like what's, think of the desired outcome. How do I want to feel March 1 or February 1? And so working backwards from that in order to feel like this, in order to be able to then build up, ramp up, um, load up from there pretty quickly within four weeks so that by um, April 1, I am feeling quite strong, connected, fit, ready to really take on the season. That is, in many cases, what I think is um, the ideal goal, to kick out of the winter as strong and as prepared physically, mentally, and spiritually, that you're, you're motivated and you feel good and you haven't lost the joy and the fun and the passion uh, in the winter. So that's what we talk about. Um, I also have some questions about tools that can help me with training, such as the value of Zwift, Trainer Road, Master Swim, Swimming on My Own, Swim Smooth, and the value of power meters, different threshold tests, and when to do them, and other things like that. So that's what we dive into. Um, so I think we addressed most of it. We definitely talked winter, preseason training. We talked about structured focus um, of the winter and how to go about that and how to change some things. 
we talked 29 or 29. So I hope that helps and you guys all enjoy this discussion with Jason. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, that consult with Jason, and that a variety of the topics and things we discuss are applicable to you as well, or you were able to pull a few nuggets out of that conversation and add it to your own training endurance life. So with that being said, um, have a great week, everybody. We'll be back to some email questions and some bigger topics next week. I have something I want to dive into with regards to mindset and performance psychology. And uh, yeah, that'll be coming next week. But until then, have a great week of training. Have a great week of prepping for the events that you're getting ready for in the fall. Maybe even planning bigger adventures, longer ultra endurance adventures in the spring or the summer. And sort of plotting your course and charting your course towards being that ultra endurance athlete that you're curious about becoming a little fearful and also how that contributes to the um, family self of yours, as well as the career and working self of yours, and how the athlete self of yours is uh, plays a role into contributing to those other two selves and that um, part of you that you think you can really impact in a positive positive way. So have a great week. Jason, can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. How great. about me? Can you hear me? Yep, sounds good. I um, good. I'm on headphones um, just because my office still echoes with lack of any type of anything on the walls yet and so forth. So sounds good. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> twenty nine oh twenty nine. That's sort of fun. Um, we can dive right into that just because uh, I will see you there. Oh, great. Now, you just did Utah, right? I did just do Utah, and spectacular event. It's my second year of doing it, and man, it's just so much fun, and getting to meet so many fascinating and interesting new people, um, and with that, of course, it's not like everybody has this great, amazing story. It's just that everybody is fascinating and interesting in their own way. Once you get to hike a couple hours with them, everybody has a story, so it's a lot of fun. I'm really excited for it. It's uh, it's actually something a, a, a buddy of mine who we've known each other for you know 45 plus years now. Um, we're always looking for you know trips and things to do together. And uh, so last year when I heard about 29029, I said this is the thing we got to do. We're both turning 50. We both get our get our asses in shape. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's a great way for us to spend time together. So we're I'm really looking forward to it on, on many levels. Yeah, that's a great idea to do that with a friend like that. That um, I, I mean, there's families there. There's a lot of companies there. So let's say a smaller company of let's say 20 people brings all their employees and they do this hike, and it normalizes it, and it's all in an environment that you can actually see each other and support each other and hike with each other and it doesn't matter if it's not a race right there is no result um, other than achieving each summit and so it's really um, makes it a, a, a good team um, building experience but also just fun so so um, with Vermont the interesting thing is it's a lot different of a course than Utah in Utah you start off and you go straight uphill um, it's where the downhill course was for the Olympics, the Salt Lake City mm. Olympics. And the finish of the Salt Lake City, of that hill, of the downhill, is basically one of the steepest parts. 
So you start on the very, very steep part, then it levels off a little bit, then another steep part, so there's steps. But in Vermont, it's a little bit different. It leads up a lot more gradually, and it ends very, very steep. So that's something to keep in mind as we discuss it. And then the other part about Vermont is that the temperatures are completely different with regards to October in the Northeast. Um, Things are getting a lot more, uh, a lot cooler. But of course, it has a potential, if it's clear and sunny, to be absolutely beautiful with the leaves changing and stunning environment. But also, um, usually it's rain and, and, and some snow up top. So that factors into the difficulty level. Great. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy to, to hear you um, you comment on what the grade is like in Vermont, because that, that was a, a big question that I had. And thankfully, um, I'm a couple of hours away from Mont Tremblant. Yeah. Um, and um, I've done some training up there on the hill. And uh, the, uh, the, the route that's kind of straight up the middle at Mont Tremblant is relatively gradual for, for most of the way up. And then it gets quite steep at the end. So it'll mimic Vermont quite well for training, which is good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any type of steep, straight uphill hiking is going to be beneficial. Um, that's the part to get the calves and the glutes and the legs and the form with the poles going properly in order to be ready for it. You have the fitness overall, of course, to do the flatter um, stuff. And I wouldn't call it flat, but it's it's not. It's just hiking up, uh, gradually up a hill. But then for the steep stuff, it's, it is just a different approach. And it wears on you. And it's uh, quite steep. And after three or four times of doing it, you start feeling the, the residual effects of it. Um, you're out there quite some time. And although the Vermont course is a little bit shorter than the Utah course, it is, um, you do more. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it makes it a different dynamic. I think we, we do 19 ascents or 17 ascents in order to reach Everest. And um, in uh, Utah, it was 13. So Utah course is longer and has a different dynamic with the steepness of the grades. The Vermont course will wear on you because you have so many. So, well, I'm just going to look at it optimistically as having more rest periods coming down on the bottom. Oh, absolutely. And the great <laughs> thing is, that's the other great thing about this event is that the next day you're tired, but you're not sore. You're tired and fatigued from either hiking through the night or being up late and just constantly doing an activity for, let's say, 24 to 36 hours but you're not sore. So a couple of days of catching up on some sleep and like letting the body sort of exhale, you're back to normal. Whereas you do this type of ascent and descending, your quads and your knees and your legs are shot for two, three <laughs> weeks. So, but yeah. And if you can't, I would also, um, I always would recommend step ups um, for in prep for something like 29029, you know, a 16 inch or a 20 inch box. And, you know, just 750 to 1,000 step-ups, um, whereby you could, to make it more difficult, add some load. I do that for a lot of my mountaineering clients, that we add load and we add <laughs> volume with regards to 1,500 step-ups, then 1,800 step-ups, then 2,000 step-ups. At, you throw, you know, 10 kilos on your back, it, it adds up. Okay. 
So, and um, yeah. what, how, how would that compare to like doing a stair climber at the gym? The stair climber at the gym, that's actually a great question because I was asked that a fair amount in um, Utah. And by the way, um, there's a coach with the, with the 29029 program. And he does a fantastic job, Brent. I'm not sure if you if you've been on any of the um, conversations with him with what's offered, but um, Brent is a an old fr- friend of mine, and he does all the coaching for the 29029. And everybody was extremely well prepared this year. So also his tips and insight uh, insights for the event um, should not be overlooked. He he is really. Um, really done quite well with preparing everybody physically for that event very well. But um, that being said, a stair um, climber at the gym is a moving um, resistance obstacle. It's just like a treadmill. So while a lot of us see some benefits in the treadmill in getting ready for running events for Ironman or half Ironmans, um, because the belt is moving, it changes the dynamic of the effort. And so the same thing with a stair climber. The belt is moving. Um, and moving your body weight fixed over, over a fixed object is more um, muscle engaging and fatiguing than it is with a moving object that you're getting your body weight over. So it's a, quite, it's a different experience. Um, is it helpful? Does it get you... Um, better prepared than something flat? Absolutely. Um, and quite honestly, at the end of the, if a couple of ascents of, of 29 or 29, you feel like you're on one of those things because it's, <laughs> it's the same, you know, place and the same scenery and the same rock and the same branch and the same grass over and over again. But, um, yeah, personally, I would prepare for with step ups because again, it's the momentum of being grounded, taking up step up and getting your full body weight and momentum from zero to the step up top of the step when you're doing that on a stair master there you don't go full standing still full momentum of body weight to the next step it's assisted in in a very gentle way Um, same as the treadmill running right it helps with leg speed and turnover but it also, the, the, the belt is moving. So as your foot goes across the stride, the length of the stride, it is being assisted by that movement to bring it back and bring it forward. Okay. Great. And what about um, uh, like doing uh, like, you know, deadlifts, squats, um, things well, those, like that? Those are yeah. always good in general fun. I have a lot mm-hmm. of my athletes on that type of strength training, especially as we go into the winter. But also during the season, I have them on that um, front squat, back squat, um, seated squat, box squat, uh, things like that. Just especially to tie in the leg strength with the activities that we're doing, running and cycling for sure. But also, of course, this hiking. So um, it's helpful. And I would uh, probably pull back around 10 days out. Uh, two weeks out in order to give your body a break and freshen up for what is quite an effort. Um, most underestimate how hard 29-0-29 is. And I, I'm saying those that underestimate it are the fittest. Ah, okay. Yes, because it sounds so, for those that are experienced with Ironmans and a variety of other, let's say, ultra runs, 
they're surprised by how um, fatiguing continuous hiking despite a, a 20 or 20 or 15 minute gondola ride back down the mountain is and uh, how you need to keep as Jesse calls it chipping away and if you don't time quickly slips away um, so and would um, do you um, I've never used polls before Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I've seen on the Facebook group and that uh, people recommending that, yeah, you, you don't necessarily notice them in the first few ascents, but towards the end, they become really helpful. Yes. Um, is it too late for me to start training with those and learn how to use them properly? Or do you think I still have time? I learned how to use them on the course on Friday. <laughs> okay. Last year, I did it all without poles, but I didn't do all of it because I was getting ready for Attila Swim Run World Championships. Two weeks later, mm-hmm. 10 days later. So I only did six in Utah, which is about half. Um, and so this year I did the first six without poles just to sort of create diversity in it. So I was excited then to use poles on the 7th to 13th one um, for something different. And uh, it's it, you quickly get a chance to immerse yourself in it because that's all you're doing. So adjustment of the pole height, um, adjustment that your hands, many people wear gloves or sort of a half glove so that there's no um, blistering happening from where you're sort of placing the pole in front of you and gradually um, coming off of it as the pole is almost in the step behind you. There's a, there's a motion there that will rub on your hand. Um, I, by mistake, grab um, Emily's poles, so they're too short anyway. <laughs> so, um, which it wasn't a big deal. So when I placed in front of me, that part was fine. I kept my hand on top of the pole, and then as I brought it back, I had to sort of rely on the straps to have the pole not fall out of my hand. Okay. So they're shorter than they're supposed to be shorter than ski poles because again, you're on an incline, and you're help. They're helping you go up a hill. So the typical ski pole adjustment is not what you're looking for. But when you buy a pair of poles, um, let's say at REI or wherever you you would get them, it has pretty good um, instructions on it. And I think they're great. Um, Now, I've used them primarily, um, and I didn't notice that much of a difference. Um, I use them primarily usually for downhills, especially late in um, trail runs let's say a 50-mile run or a 100-mile run, that's where I would recommend poles. I haven't used them ever, um, but that's where I can see a dramatic benefit to be able to take the load off your knees and joints and hips and low back when you've just broken down that many hours of running and hiking. Because a lot of 100-milers, especially in the west, western mountains, is a lot of hiking. Okay. Good. Um, what about, uh, did you carry nutrition with you or did you just refuel? Like, right. my, my, my thinking was to, uh, to, to climb with some nutrition anyway, so that I could be eating on the way down on the gondola yeah. and then be ready Great. for the next descent soon after. Great question. And, um, I will say this and I mean, of course I love those guys at 29029 and I'm closely affiliated with them. Not just, not because let's say I'm somehow, um, an owner with them, but more, it's just that I really like all of them. I coach a few of them. And so I really like this event. That being said, last year, the food choices and offering was not anything to write home about. 
And so um, they have done an amazing job in improving that. Um, I also think they're more experienced in what they're doing. And so this year, the food choices at the two aid stations in Utah were spectacular. Anywhere from obviously the usual gels and bars, but high-end stuff from spring gels to waffles, three different waffle brands from Goo to the, the old school waffle brand, um, honey stinger bars to fruit to great drinks and not just, let's say, sugary Gatorade, um, which they only had late on the last day. And I think because they, the, the tea, the energy teas were so popular, I think they ran out. And it's not like in the middle of nowhere of Utah, you can just find some, you know, sports-specific energy teas. So um, really good choices. Then they also provide lunch and breakfast and dinner so that when you come down the mountain, you can quickly go into the lodge, grab what you need. It's all, it's all included. So even if you miss the lunch window, you can go into the local um, store and that's all, you know, open house and um, grab yourself uh, real food is what I'm saying. So okay. up top they have real food and at the bottom they have real food. So you can get by with, let's say, what I call astronaut food with um, an event during the event, let's say gels, bars, and, but they also have pretzels. and I mean, the selection, I would say at an aid station, they had a good 35 to 40 different products. Oh, great. <laughs> it's amazing. Great. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, uh, really well done. But that being said, sometimes you want um, a sandwich. This year, they had um, Nutella and banana sandwiches. They had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They had turkey wraps, ham wraps, and um, roast beef wraps. They had vegan wraps. They had the Uncrustables, um, which is what people loved. Um, Rich ate a ton of those. <laughs> and the <laughs> Nutella and banana. Um, so, it, so that helps. And so in your planning, to answer your question in a long, <laughs> dragged out way, is that uh, I would mix it up, but also the intensity is so much lower and you have that downtime in the gondola that eating real food is a great solution. Okay. Great. Yeah, I, I, and I've tried to do that on my, on my tries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been relatively successful, like on the bike and what have you. Um, with with getting in like solid food, so that was kind of my plan. Uh, I yeah. guess another question mark for me is uh, is what I'm going to need with regards to like electrolytes. So I, I typically I'm a pretty heavy sweater, mm-hmm. um, especially in warmer weather. And I realized the weather could be cool, but uh, but I on my tries I typically use precision hydration. Right. And uh, so is that something that I should consider bringing that up myself or? Um, you know, I know it'll be cooler. I know it's at a slower pace, yeah. but I still expect that I'll be sweating. <laughs> well, in general, the guidance would always be to have some of your own product with you because it's just that you're, you're familiar with it and you know your stomach will work with it. Even if the intensity is lower, um, you don't want to introduce something too new. But again, if um, the products that they have is working, I did mostly water. Um, and I did notice my arm was swelling in with my watch um, about ooh, five, six hikes in. So we're talking about 12 to 13 hours in. No, a little bit less, 10 hours in. And um, so I did st- take some um, pH tabs, um, which I'm a fan of because they're so portable. Also, to answer your previous question, I wear a, a Solomon vest. 
um, obviously for my ultra runs, but um, I wore it there too, because you keep your camera in there. Um, others use a belt to keep their camera and some things in it. Um, so it's across the board of what you want. But I wore my Solomon vest and I had my phone in there. I had a couple of products in there that I am, like, once again, familiar with. But I don't think I even used them. I bought this big bag of nutrition just because of the choices last year. I didn't touch a single one. And I bought a big bag of nutrition because I brought some for Rich too, knowing you know, his nutritional needs. And um, we both didn't need him from a plant-based aspect and me not being plant-based, but also <clears throat> quite specific with what I need and never touched my own product. Okay. So I did take some tabs, uh, but not a lot. I would say I took maybe over the 13, 14 hikes and they're about two hours each. So over the about with the going slower to, to walk with people about 30 hours I was out there. Um, I took maybe a thousand pH three times total. Okay. Again, because, and this is what I talk to a lot of clients about and athletes about is we still get electrolytes in our food <laughs> and we still have stores of electrolytes in our body. Um, so many athletes start with electrolyte focus on their first bottle, whether it's at an Ironman or half Ironman or all these events. Um, and it's just not necessary. They want you to drink that much. Absolutely. <laughs> Use their <laughs> product. But Allowing the body to differentiate during an event and settle with water and then come to its own conclusions with needs, like I felt on my, that my watch was getting tighter. So clearly I was swelling. So I had some pH, drank a little bit less water and a little bit more electrolytes in that respect, and it went away immediately within five minutes. Um, so again, listening to your body, observing, and just constantly you know, body scanning. I'm always body scanning. I remind everybody I hike with at 29029 to body scan. And as you guys all know from my podcast, my athletes, I try to bug them to body scan constantly. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Well, thank so, you for all the yeah, tips there. On the 29029, become prepared for the weather with temperature. I always would say that. Um, come prepared with extra socks and clothing just because after a day, if you were to sleep uh, six hours or five hours like I did, um, sort of after 10 or 12 cents, um, that you'll want to obviously put on something fresh. Um, if it's dry, you want, like Utah is super dry. It's the west and altitude, and so it's dusty and dry. You want to bring um, extra socks and sort of, they have Band-Aids and everything to cover any blister spots, but those are the things you want to keep your socks dry and clean. And if it's harsher weather, you definitely want to switch that out because you just, mm -hmm. you will get cold in the descent and then warm in the ascent. And um, having a variety of different clothing will be helpful. Okay, great. So then you come out of that and you go into the pleasant winter up north. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, like, Good. I, the, the way I look at it, you've got to embrace it, otherwise move. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. So then I'm going into the winter, and uh, just yesterday or the day before, I um, I registered for Ironman Montreal again next year. Again. Um, so you'll so be three a, times placid, three times MT then. 
Yes, and it's um, so and but Placid, the three times I did Placid were about a decade ago, mm-hmm. and then we started having kids, so I decided to go into professional dad mode. And I it was love two it. years ago, I decided to return back to uh, that's professional to athlete too when you're yeah. pro dad mode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at the time, the, the thinking was I'm gonna stop you know racing in that and I'm just gonna train to stay healthy. Um, the reality of what happened though was that I stopped training altogether and my health went downhill for you know a number of years. So that's yeah. why a couple of years ago I finally said, uh, you know, I, I've got to get myself right again. And and just my personality, I need to have events that I'm training for. Otherwise, um, you know, I just I, I don't get it done. And um, I've got a, you know a, a lazy mindset, I guess you'd say. So even this past year, getting ready for uh, Mont Tremblant that I just did there a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, over the winter months, it was really difficult to motivate myself to train. Um, I just I wasn't into it, and really I didn't start training until the spring, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, so I'm you know I'm looking at setting up um, uh, you know like uh, challenges for myself and and you know smaller races throughout the winter um, here in in Ottawa so that I can have something that I'm working towards. And, you know, I, I, when I did start really getting serious about my training in the spring, um, I was very structured and regimented with the training that I did. Mm-hmm. And that really worked well for me. So over the winter, I want to create that structure. I want to create some, you know, mini goals along the way for smaller races to, do to keep me on track. Um, because um, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, last year returning to Ironman, I was happy that I did it. It was my slowest race ever, but I absolutely loved it. Um, let this me, year, let me interrupt mm-hmm. you just for a moment. What is um, the motivate? Where where does it, is it? The, because going out in the cold and the dark, or um, or training in the cold and the dark and just as gloomy, is it the lack of urgency that you're familiar with an Ironman and you maybe subconsciously sort of know what you need to do to get by? Um, where is the motivation um, lacking? Yeah, you, you just you nailed it with the second uh, uh-huh. with the second one there. Yeah. It's yeah, like I I I'm um, I'm confident that like you know with with limited training I can go long and slow and get her done. Yeah. Um, and you know this year, um, uh, you know I, I did pretty much all zone two training. Um, mm-hmm. I barely did any intensity in my training, what have you. Mm-hmm. And when I got out on the course this year, one of the things that I realized was that. Uh, especially on the run was that I just, I, I didn't have that, um, that second gear, not, not necessarily even in terms of like speed and that, but, but mentally, mm-hmm. um, I did, I, I hadn't trained my ability to, to push myself at all in my training. It had been all zone two. Yes. And so I, 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 Hey, don't get me wrong. I had a great experience and I had a great day. Um, but like the next day I was a little bit sore, but I recovered really quickly. Like, you know, like I, like, I, I know that there was a lot that I didn't like fitness wise that I didn't leave it on the course. Mm-hmm. And it was because I hadn't trained. I don't think that mental edge to be able to uh, push myself hard. Yeah. And you're totally right there. I mean, so you experienced what I would believe. I don't, I don't know what you how you trained and, and how you did everything, but the feedback and the observations that you're to describing of the zone two and how quickly you recovered is, what I would say on the spectrum of performance, that's sort of when you close your eyes and go, all right, 
I can wake up tomorrow. Like I've said before, if I wake you, if I rattle you at 2 a.m. tomorrow and say, go out and do an Ironman, that's the time you're capable of doing. That's the floor, right? That's the performance that you probably can just, without mentally being engaged or being hyped up or having any type of desired outcome, you can just go through. The, going through the motions makes it sound negative, but in the terms of this description, that's where you just engage. You know, it's like a, 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 on, a, on a, a spaceship, engage zone two. And the next thing you know, you, you're at a set speed and a set output and a set sort of space mentally and physically, you just go, right? Um, that is great fitness, but it's not necessarily what we want in order to put out the best possible day that we're currently capable of, right? Mm -hmm. um, it creates a huge platform, but as we talked about before, it's you can build the most beautiful foundation of a home, and, but we can't stop there, because you can then you can only envision or um, um, close your eyes and see what possibly could be built on this home. And I think that's the differentiation, what you might have observed as well. You built a beautiful foundation of a home, of a structure, and now you're stuck or you're left wondering, wow, what, what happens if I actually build something really beautiful, powerful, that I'm excited to um, see on top of that structure? Yeah, it, that word that you just used there, excited, really resonates with me because I actually feel like um, I was actually thinking this out on the course um, a week and a half ago that, um, you know, I wasn't walking away from the race feeling like, you know, oh, I failed or, you know, didn't meet expectations. I was like, hey, it was what it was. I had a great day. But there was immediately, even from, you know, uh, from, from the, during that race, uh, some excitement for me to, to take it to a new level, to step it up. Right. Um, and, right. uh, and yeah, get structured and, and, uh, and really focusing on like, what can I do? Yeah. Um, I feel like the kids are old enough now and I have a lot of flexibility with my work hours. So that, you know, my wife and I can do a lot of training together and, um, and I'm like, okay, now's the time to do it. So Good. I'm excited Good. for that. Because at first I would have said, well, if you are unmotivated and have lacked the clarity of what you want with, um, Montreblanc or Ironman with regards to what I was saying before, that you're familiar with the outcome of what you could do, why do the same thing again? But if you have mm -hmm. a new energy for it, I mean, it's only 10 days out or two weeks out, so let's not also overlook that. If that goes away in a couple of weeks, months, that you're back to, well, subconsciously, I know what I need to do to get through it and we justify which I say justification is the ego talking. Um, we justify that um, our life is busy and therefore, you know, kids and work and life and I'll be, I'll be plenty fine in a few months when I do the next Ironman. That's when it starts slipping. And so ensuring yourself, how will I approach this one differently? Now that might be might need to be some public um, <clears throat> challenges where you say, you let it be known that you want to do X time, right? And put some skin in the game with your friends or something like that. Like that if I don't achieve X, and this isn't a question of black or white. It's more just to help you get in the range of, let's say, an hour faster, right? So therefore, if the, the first number is an 11 instead of a 12, or if the first numbers are 9 instead of a 10, you know, that's plenty good. Um, 
And then you put, or you say to your family, like, listen, I am diving into this um, Ironman thing this year. And it's probably going to be more than I've done in the past, not necessarily on volume, but I'm going to focus it on it differently. If you catch me not doing it seriously, or if you see me just sort of blowing it off, or my self-talk around all of you, whether your wife or just in front of the family, doesn't stay in tune with my intentions, um, what we will do is we will go on a family vacation to this because I can't justify not training for this and putting everybody else and the funds and so on um, on hold, not on hold, but you know, it's just adding another priority to the day. If I'm not going to follow through on it, I will do this with all of us because you deserve X. I mean, I've done that with a family before and it worked marvelously <laughs> because the wife and the children engaged in it completely different too. It takes a lot of support by the family. It takes time and um, care um, as a team to put forth the best possible athlete that you currently are. And they want to be a part of it in many cases if we include them. So something like that um, I would recommend if you feel yourself falling off or where you're going to wonder, do will I fall into the same pattern? State your intentions now and start creating a sense of fear and curiosity towards that. Can I actually do that? Because now it's not a question. That's the one thing with Ironman. It's not a question for you of finishing it. Now it's a question, can I maintain this type of training? Can I achieve this result, this number, this time? Um, that's what creates the complexity. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not really that into swimming in the winter and cycling because of that, but I will run my fastest marathon on the back end of an Ironman by 20 minutes. And how will I go about doing that without completely coasting through the bike? Which the beauty of an Ironman as well is that even if you coast through the bike, it doesn't guarantee you run that much faster because <laughs> it's still 100. The, like I've said, 112 miles or 180 kilometers on the bike takes a certain fatigue um, because you're still moving your body mass over distance. It's the same kilojoule burn, energy burn, whether you go easy and it takes longer or you go fast and it goes shorter, but the burn rate is the same. So getting off the bike in an Ironman, whether you go easy or you go fast, harder, um, you're equally fatigued out of T2. So you need the fitness in order to run better. And that's the whole concept of my Ironman coaching. And so where you say, okay, well, I'm going to focus on my best possible marathon this year. So that takes the edge off of the swimming and the cycling maybe. And you say, all right, well, my best marathon previously, let's say, I don't know what it was. I don't have your splits. But was, let's say a 355. This year I want to run sub 340. I mean, that's a big challenge. So... There's ways to go about that, and we can rediscover that in the winter and, and spring if you're struggling with it, to just try a few different approaches, but this is also for you just to have ideas. Great. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, it's, what you're saying is really resonating with me um, in terms of putting those things in place just to keep me on the, like focused on that training throughout the year. Yeah. Um, I know that I have that excitement for it right now. Mm -hmm. And um, but everybody does sure a few days out of it. Yeah. <laughs> How old are your yeah, kids? I experienced it so many times. <laughs> How old are your kids? Yeah. 
Uh, six and eight. Six and eight. So perfect yeah. age where they see you getting up in the morning and getting on your trainer and say, you know, we eventually you get to a point where it's like, Daddy, are you riding your bike again today? Or, you know, Daddy, after a three-hour trainer ride, you said you're going to go ride with us out there or run while we ride our bikes next to you, something like that, where it's like, all right, A, I created the fatigue, and now I have to go run because I promised them I would. Or you create that structure once a week. Like every time on Saturdays where dad is riding his trainer and you guys wake up and you sort of have breakfast, but you hear me or you see me um, doing it, um, I will be done and let's go for, you guys get on your bikes. And so it's a little bit cold, but something similar where it's like they know, okay, we're going to the swimming pool then. Or, you know, daddy's going to do, 100 burpees off of a three-hour bike ride um, just so that they are engaged in knowing that when you're done, they're part of it. Right. What are your splits for um, typically for an Ironman? What were they? Well, am I allowed to give you the ones from 10 years ago? <laughs> you, that was a different version of you. <laughs> yes, I know. It's about 20 pounds lighter. And, uh, yeah, but we, it doesn't mean you can't get there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I realize that. Um, yeah, so last year and this year were almost identical, my race. So it was about Good. 15 minutes fast this year. I was like, I was 15 minutes this year, or sorry, 15 hours. Gotcha. Um, so swim. my swim uh, this year was 113. Okay. Um, I had hoped to go sub 110, but I had a lot of hamstring cramping. I, um, I, I did a decent amount of swimming. I just didn't do enough in my wetsuit and open water. And I think mm -hmm. that the buoyancy of my legs kind of uh, helped to contribute to the hamstrings cramping. Um, my bike was 7.30. My, the first 90K was, uh, it's a two-loop course, the first 90K was 3.35, and the second was about 3.55. Mm -hmm. um, and then my run was 6.05 with a lot of walking. And the interesting thing with my run was that I started out feeling great. Mm -hmm. um, I was running, uh, so I, I use metric, but I was running um, at about between a, a 6.30, 6.45 pace. Mm -hmm. And um, when I hit about um, 6K into the run, uh, my stomach started uh, going all wonky on me. And I, I, the last two years, I really struggled a lot with my nutrition on, on the run. Um, I think I was just taking in too much water. Um, and, um, and things started sloshing around. So I ended up, um, once I started walking, then it was tough to, you know, I'd run, but I, I always wanted to get back to that walk. But the interesting thing was that as I got onto the Coke, as I got my energy back and my stomach settled, mm -hmm. um, in the last 10 K, um, I was running a 620 average pace. So, um, I, I actually finished the last 10K faster than my first 5K going out, and it was all getting my stomach settled. So I definitely have some nutrition stuff to figure out there. Okay, okay. So clearly the swimming is your strength. Because um, if you're swimming a 113, even a 115 or a 110, that space is plenty to go two hours faster on the bike run portion. Um, mm. And it not being a detriment. Um, so... Um, I would focus my time, especially in the winter, on bike run and just maintain a swim. The swim is not going to limit you in your performance um, and in, in, in the desire to improve your Ironman time overall dramatically. That is not what's getting in the way. 
Um, okay. Now, I know you, you talk a lot about um, typically for your athletes prescribing a lot of swim because it just increases fitness. Yeah. Um, but in this case, is it because I need to, you know, like develop my strength in that or, or what? Like, well, yeah. it's about maximizing your training time. And um, okay. for, for many of my athletes, um, I just, it's just a load question. And okay. um, so swimming is a great, absolutely alternative. But if we can defer over the winter months, right? This is what I say in the preseason. We, we still remain connected to our strengths, but we work on our limiters. And, um, and so in many cases, that's strength work to, to get the body better prepared for the demands of the season upcoming. But also in order to um, improve the areas, our blind spots and our limiters. And so we would want that 13 hours of bike run combination to, we'd want to dive into that. Okay. Yeah. So... Your questions were more around bike guidance and the winter indoors. And yes, I am a big fan of uh, trainers and Zwift and using that to stay motivated. Um, I, the social aspect, the measurement aspect, the data aspect, the progression aspect. So that's great. Um, but also important, it seems for me, is that um, you get a chance to use it for quality once or twice a week. And do less volume because the volume's coming once the weather turns and the days get longer. And I know that sounds contrary to what many would think you would need to do in the preseason, but we don't want to do big volume and um, ask our body to do too much in the winter. Again, we have a long season ahead of us, so this would wrap around doing effective strength training, doing some quality cycling on the bike each week with regards to Zwift and trainer workouts, and then still doing, you know, a three, two to three hour aerobic zone two ride um, each week. So that alone, I just brought up uh, three, uh, six hours of cycling. Um, let's say two strength sessions. Now we're at eight hours. So we're at eight hours without swim run. Right, okay. So what do you typically train so um uh swim i would typically do two swims a week mm -hmm. and i'm in the pool for at least an hour usually closer an hour and 15 um uh i'm other outside of the swim my bike run i typically do about 10 hours a week okay um and uh, a lot of that was uh you know slows like zone two stuff um i did very very little interval and intensity work yeah. Um, with the exception of on the bike, one, one day a week in the nicer weather, mm -hmm. I would typically head up. We have a great uh, big park up here near Ottawa called in Gatineau Park, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of climbing in that. And so it's a great place to go train in the nicer weather. But um, in the winter, like last year, I, I didn't really do much on my trainer at all. It would, mm -hmm. I would go to spin classes, and that would be it. Great. So. And those spin classes, which I'm a big fan of, are you on your own bike or are you on a, a, a Johnny G Spin yeah, bike. like it's yeah, like one of the ones that the gym has. Okay, so there, the good thing is you can work extremely well on posture and cadence, right? Especially in spin classes, you want to lighten up the resistance ever so gently. Not a lot. Not that it's too easy or that you're bouncing around on your saddle, but that you are able to effectively have a higher cadence than you usually would outdoors or riding on your own. 
and um, find a way to relax on the saddle and the body posture on the bike that is so that you can keep the higher cadence without moving your entire body. That's a great workout okay. once a week and you get the social aspect. Um, right. I would invest the three minutes to take the measurements off your bike and be able to somewhat simulate it on that spin bike that you attend weekly. So all that is is from the center of the crank to the height of the, the middle of the saddle on your bike. So where the crank goes into the bottom bracket, right? Mm -hmm. um, to this middle of the saddle, not the tip, not the rear, just sort of the middle of the sweet spot. That's pretty good indication of going along the, the down tube to catch that the seat tube, excuse me. Um, and then doing similar in centimeters on the spin bike. So you get the, the height approximately the same. We don't need to go into crank length and all that. It's close enough. Then I would do okay. the close, to, so it's a triangle. Then we want to do the reach from the middle of the saddle to the center of the handlebars. Even on the spin bikes with the, the, the bull horns, do the middle of, the, of where you put your hands rested on the crossbar. Um, okay. Do that distance so that now you have the top of your triangle set up. And then um, I would do height of handlebars relative to seat. So this is a little bit harder because how you lean forward. You don't want it to be like a Stairmaster on the bike where your hands are much higher than the saddle. So if on your road bike or tri bike you notice that your pads, in this case, not crossbar, pads are level with your um, seat height, then it's easy to set up. If you're a little bit more aggressive setup and your pads are below your seat height or seat, if you look at it from the side, then you sort of want to catch that differential. And you can do that by yeah. catching the height of the saddle off the ground um, versus the height of the handlebars off the ground, off your bike. Mm -hmm. The differential between the two is what you want to set up. Because spin bikes are often set up higher and are on platforms, you don't want to measure the height of each and then just go apply it to the spin bike because that might be right. different. It's the differential that you want to apply. So let's say it's three centimeters difference. <laughs> that way you can go to the gym and go measure the handlebar height and the seat height and set it up that the handlebars are three centimeters below what that one is. Okay, cool. Right. That's, so, yeah, I've been spinning it for years and I've never done that. So that's, yeah, so that's, that's important. Crazy. It'll allow you to become more simulated from your bike on it. The other thing is the saddle is, of course, a little bit different. Than some people, some bikes are higher end. They have real road bike saddles on them with even a water bottle cage on the back of them. But others are more wider. But um, So that's fine. It's whatever you're comfortable with. But if you can get those three things dialed, your triangle is pretty much set. So if I if I'm kind of summarizing that if I've heard correctly, you're thinking like if I do one of those spin classes a week, mm -hmm. um, two more intense sessions on my trainer a week, um, and what would they be? Would they be like uh, ninety minutes, sixty minutes? So in correction, it would be one okay. spin class and one more intensity trainer. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we replace the second trainer with the spin class. Okay. So now we're at two um, quality bikes. They're not necessarily um, the same, but they're quality. The high cadence mm -hmm. and good posture plus an intense hour, usually spin class an hour, mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah. is good. And then all we have is that one time 
staying connected to your aerobic base building um, zone two ride a week. So it limits two the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. two to three hours. It limits the time that you're sitting on the trainer without a set um, um, prescription um, effort, which is pretty boring. And that's where you want to mm -hmm. have the movie or want to catch up on Netflix or, you know, some series that you're watching or something like that or a book on tape or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, that's and the, the uh, sorry, the, the intensity or the quality session on the trainer, the, mm -hmm. the shorter duration one, is that like 60, 90 minutes? What yeah. Would you recommend? yeah, 60 to 90 okay. minutes is great. Um, you'll okay. build up your tolerance of the trainer at first six, 45 to 60 minutes. It's, it's time slows down. Yeah. <laughs> but as you get used to it and as you set your routine and as you set your structure, you'll be surprised. And what you want to do is you want to definitely in that 90 minutes, tap all your zones. You want to have some zone two time, which is of course, warm up and warm down and some active recovery. You want to hit zone three, which is your tempo time. So challenging feels good to ride there. It just activates all the right sensations. Zone four being threshold, which is quite hard, nothing too long, like four, five, six minute intervals. Hopefully you start at three and you build up to maybe eight, nine, 10 minutes over the winter. And then you wanna do some zone five VO2 max work where you're doing short, explosive, best effort, high intensity work. Again, to touch all the zones, touch all the energy systems, within a 60 to 90 minute period. Okay. Um, but you know, in the past, I, like the last couple of years, I haven't spent much time on the trainer because I was finding it really boring. So yeah, I, I was know. considering getting Zwift. Yes, um, fantastic. And is like, are there, I'm not really all that familiar with it. I assume that there's like specific courses in that that I could put in where yep. it, would, it would take me through all this, yes? Exactly, exactly. Okay, great. Yeah. great. And then you can program intervals in like you mentioned, um, thinking about some coaching with regards to the spring with me. So a lot mm -hmm. of my athletes, they take my intervals that I give them and their prescription for the week because I have um, indoor cycling inter intervals and um, a weekly email that goes out or I upload it to the website. And then they log in and then it has all their intervals listed in there. Um, and then they upload that or program that into their trainer road or into Swift and so forth. Okay, great. Yeah, um, so now you have your three bikes. And so that alone is two, three, that's about four or five hours. And then what you could do is occasionally, if life and weather and um, fitness lines up, you do um, another steadier tempo, zone three, upper zone two bike ride a week w with a runoff of it. And I usually do that on Sundays for athletes. So Saturdays, I have them do the morning base building, just easy zone two, catch up on shows of the week or Netflix and so on. And then on Sunday, if they have time, and occasionally it doesn't need to be every week during the winter, but occasionally do, let's say, a 60, 75, 90-minute bike ride um, and then immediately run longer off of it, an hour. Um, it just keeps us connected to a longer-ish bike ride in prep and in energy systems to a longer-ish run. Now that can go from 45 minutes and then the next time is... 55 minutes and then the next time is 65 minute runs off of it. But so that when you come to the spring, you feel pretty connected to your ability to ride 90 minutes and run 90 minutes. So basically doing three hours of steady brick. Okay. But 
I want to be real clear. I, I would not do this much elsewhere. Um, I would right. mix that up and maybe once a month do the Sunday bike ride as well. And okay. that way you feel good like, okay, wow, I rode an hour and a half and I still felt fantastic running an hour. It, again, so the winter, you want to stay connected to what I always talk about, that you can quickly launch into bigger training, a short ramp up, and that your ability then is that you're not that far removed from diving into Ironman training. Okay. Easier said than done. It looks great on paper, but <laughs> life life gets in the way. Okay. Um, and and what what should I be doing for the run throughout the week? If, yeah. Um, you know, so like I know that there's this brick that you've just thrown in as an extra thing from time to time, especially yeah. as I get closer to the spring. But over the winter, what should the run training look like? Well, we just were saying about how Sundays should be probably our longer run. But another thing to consider is many athletes with limited time availability during the week, I, and I've talked about this on the podcast, is that I have them, or I recommend to them to do their long runs during the week. A long run of 90 minutes is oftentimes well achieved during the week so that we use the longer hours, two, three, four hours, whether it's in the spring and summer as well, because um, our work life doesn't change. Um, and they, we put that on the weekends so that there the time is more available due to not having to work. Um, when I do the longer running during the week because a 90-minute run uh, is, is more feasible than a three-hour bike ride during the week or on, mm-hmm. uh, and then switching those with weekends. So, but in general, in the winter, I would have one longer run. Um, and that is you want to be able to maintain 70 to 90 minutes. Now, the beauty is you can do that skate skiing you could do that you know outdoors um, cross-country skiing um, very similar zone two activity and i mean skate skiing on the proper course is not zone two activity but um you know on a flatter course and doing things that you enjoy outside right so um and then two shorter runs a week Um, so if you're going to do strength work i would count those those shorter 30-minute runs after strength into that. That's always a good way to activate the muscles and the systems that you just not only engaged and recruited and fatigued, but also to feel the effects of your strength. Um, I like that after because for a lot of athletes, their ability to use the muscles, let's say squats, what you talked about, and then go out and run and engage those glutes and hamstrings and calves and and feel like, wow, I'm really tired from that powerful activity. Now let me focus on light feet and technique and sweeping the heels to the butt on my run recovery form and so forth and just activating everything that I just fatigued and why I'm doing those strength motions in the first place to feel it in the run. You could also do that, of course, a bike ride at the gym after. A lot of people do that. An easy 45-minute or 30-minute spin post-strength training on those spin bikes. That works great. Um, so, And even in some cases, swim after strength training, which I um, do occasionally as well, just because I'll have recruited a different muscle group or I've done stretch cords, and therefore then off of those tired, achy muscles, try to find something of a... Good form swimming is very hard. You feel like you're swimming in um, 
syrup. Right. <laughs> so you have your one longer run, you have two shorter runs, maybe one after a, a strength session, and the other shorter one being, you know, working on leg turnover quality, hill repeats, rolling hills, something to maintain strength and some sort of intensity, but nothing too demanding, nothing where you're doing um, 2K or 1K repeats, not the time of year for that. Just okay. staying connected to speed and strength via um, other ways saying, okay, for the next five minutes, I'm gonna increase my run cadence. A lot of times um, we're running on treadmills at this time of year um, when it's dark and cold, <clears throat> excuse me. And I uh, often recommend, well, if you're watching a TV show while you're running at the gym or listening to something, every time there's a commercial or there's an advertisement, you speed up by, let's say a minute per K or you increase your run foot turnover by 10 and then next thing you know, uh, you're, every time an advertisement or a commercial comes, <laughs> you're um, very focused on getting through those commercials and you realize how much there are um, um, as you're doing it. So I do the same thing on a trainer with a bike that I'll oftentimes just be riding. And then I say, okay, whether I'm watching a football game or something or in the winter, um, not a movie, every time advertisement comes on, I had, let's say, 50 watts or 60 watts and power through the commercials. And then finally, it's back to the regular show or the game. And I can go back to zone two or whatever I was doing. Again, to break things up and to just use the, 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 the surroundings to create intervals. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I think I, in the past I had a misconception around zone two work being that if I went out and I was doing zone two, I needed to do zone two for that entire workout. Or, you know, once I went up into like, you know, zone three, zone four, it was going to ruin all of the zone two work. That I no. did. But I've heard you talk about that in previous podcasts. Yeah, it just came up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's an accumulation of time. So as you're looking at your training peaks or Garmin Connect or whatever format you use, that you can see, okay, this month I accumulated so and so many hours or 80% of my training time was in zone two, 20% um, was in zone three, 10% was in zone four. Great. Um, now, we don't want to just, the myth, the, the other end of that spectrum, and this is helpful for everybody, is that going out and riding in a group ride, where you see, oh, look, 30% of my time was in zone two when I was coasting or when I fell off or <laughs> and not pulling. And 30% of my time was in zone three and 30% of my time was in zone four. That's a little bit different. Um, as long as the majority of your time remains with the focus of the workout. So if you have a zone two workout planned and 75, 80% of that workout, of that training, of those hours was in zone two, fantastic. And so now two shorter runs, one quality one, one, sh one after um, strength work or core work or chassis integrity work. So that, that is also, it's not easy, but it's not hard. Um, you're doing one longer run. And the only thing I would throw in there is some leg turnover and strides at some point. Um, so you could do a 5K easy run and then just do, let's say, six to eight strides. And now you've just done... That's a 40-minute workout. You do that in the morning 
and then in the afternoon you do something easy or you do your bike ride or you do the swim so that you use time to your advantage. Enough of a stimulus in 30-40 minutes in the morning or on a, on a Friday afternoon before your um, zone 2 on uh, Saturday and then um, you get the leg turnover, you quickly recover and um, you have the gap between overnight to the next workout or gap from previous more, um, day as in from morning workout to evening workout is enough to recover and still have a great next workout in order to be successful for the week. It's not just something we want to throw on the back end of something because we want the quality of what we're doing to be high and not necessarily quality and intensity, but quality in technique, footwork, posture, desired outcome. Okay. Good. And then, and then throw in a couple of swims each week to just kind of maintain what I've got. Yeah, so if you, know? you do two swims, the five, six hours of biking I just said, now we're at eight hours. You throw in um, a 90-ish minute run, we're at nine and a half, two shorter runs, that's um, 11 now, another 30 minutes, we're at 11 and a half, an hour of strength work, we're at 12 and a half, and maybe some core and another work, um, 30 minutes. Now we're at 13 hours. <laughs> it adds up quickly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Good. No, but I'm excited about, like, as we're talking about all this, like, I'm, yeah. And again, I know that we're just, like, you know, eight days post Ironman, but I'm excited about, uh, about what lies ahead for the winter. Yeah. So your excitement should be focused on a few things. So one, you want to think about, well, you're already closing your eyes and seeing yourself doing these activities, right? Um, and that you're fit and connected, that you can execute this week the way it's written and planned, and you finish the week, and you hit all this, and you feel great. Well, we both know that's not how it works, <laughs> because <laughs> something comes up, or we don't feel that good, or we're struggling to schedule it all, or um, you know, activities, or work, or travel, something. So as long as we get to a point where we can repeat this, not every week, but a few weeks, a month, that's very good. Um, of course, perfection is every week a month with the bigger week with regards to that Sunday bike ride. That's great, but we all don't live in that space, in that world, where we can just put it on paper and it gets perfectly done. But s remain true to the concepts. That's number okay. one. And the other part is you want to stay motivated. So how do you, despite looking at this and wanting to be that, have that fitness and feel good about it, um, add some different things in there or take a week of, off of this routine and get really disconnected. Let's say you're skiing or you're skate skiing or doing something different or you're on vacation. Um, get away from it and then be excited to settle back into feeling good. Your d desired outcome in winter training is to feel good and somewhat fit and connected and say, huh, it's December and I feel quite good. That's enough. Um, okay. You want to see that you're getting stronger in the strength room. That's a different focus versus time and running paces and wattages and heart rates. And No, we're focused on something different. Um, our desired outcome might be that we say, wow, after strength training, I felt fantastic running. That's improvement, that's progression, where that's winter progression where we say, wow, the strength is working, I'm really going to have um, this really tie into my spring once the training increases and the volume increases. Um, 
So changing the focus, because too often if we're too tied into and too focused on just swim, bike, run outputs and data evaluation, it becomes monotonous and the brain wants diversity and this different stimulus. We'll put it into something different, like strength, like being able to hold, as my athletes will laugh now, a three-legged bridge, uh, a three-legged bridge exactly, for um, two minutes. Get to that, you can hold the arrow position for hours because that's a very hard thing to do. Um, okay. So, and then knowing you're taking this and that you're connected to your fitness into the spring and as the days get longer and the weather gets better, you notice more and more you're able to be outside and apply your mental fortitude to that type of training. Longer, stronger, intervals, paces, wattages, starting to dial in the simulations, getting up to Mont Blanc here and there to do a training weekend, to put your put yourself on the course, and then get to that point where you want to train this nutrition because we don't want that happening again. Yeah. <laughs> and none, wasn't, of this, wasn't. <laughs> none of this that I talked about over the winter really ties into nutrition because none of it you really require nutrition. Um, sure, the longer run and the longer bike, you could add something in there, but that's nothing yet to really convert and train the body for its needs with regards to an Ironman in the spring. But as of the spring, you want to use basically every workout to constantly prep that because that's probably an hour right there. Right. And so low-hanging fruit that I always say, there's, there's, some easy, there's an easy hour to be found in your 15. And then let's say another hour to be found in your training. You know, you'd be pretty happy with two hours faster. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this, um, yeah, this certainly has been feeling our conversation that I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be able to structure myself over the winter, mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to, to get, get a good foundation so that, uh, we can do some stuff in the spring together to get me dialed in on the nutrition and, you know, I, you know, other questions that I've got that are you know, for further on down the road, like, should I be using a power meter, that kind of thing? Cause I've always just run off, uh, you know, raced off of feel and yeah. you know, just a, you know, a digital watch. That's it. So, um, should, should I be, um, how valuable is something like training peaks going to be for me to record stuff? Like I record things in, in my calendar, so mm -hmm. I, I can plug in my schedule. I can see, you know, whether I followed it, but what I'm not getting is tracking the metrics of like, you know, uh, how things are charting over time. Is, is that valuable information for me or if I'm doing the work is everything? Yes. Um, place anyway? well, again, for your motivation and to keep you engaged and excited through the winter, seeing it in charts and graphs and progression and colors and success helps. It's a great platform for that as well um, and allows you to sort of um, look at your volume and see where your recovery weeks have been and sort of that you did bring it up there or ooh, I fell off here and visually with regards to charts and that, it's quite powerful. Two, if we're going to start working together in the spring, you will want that data because I will have you on Training Peaks and we can sort of see who you were before and who you became now. So that's fun and very much worthwhile. Um, it allows all your data to be uploaded. It has a variety of algorithms that gives you insight into what you should be doing. Um, a lot of free, valuable information in there for sure.
Great. Thank you and very then, much. And then the other thing here, Jason, is I get to talk to you in eight weeks and review um, everything you're doing as we're hiking up a mountain. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'll look forward to seeing you then. So, so what I'll do, the event. as you know, with most of my consults, I follow up in six-ish weeks to see how everybody's doing. Um, I won't do that with you since I will see you in person and we'll go over it there. Perfect. All right. Looking forward to it. Well, good. Um, don't hesitate to send any questions or how I can continue to assist. But yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for this call. And just and thank you also for all the wealth of information that you put out there. Um, you know, it's been really helpful for me over the last couple of years coming back into triathlon. And uh, this year, my wife did her first Ironman and, uh, and she really benefited from things as well. So it's great. Uh, I yeah, love it. It's great. Thank you. So thank you. Um, the greatest compliment is always to refer the podcast to others. Yeah, always do. Always great. do. And we'll continue to. Thank, thank you, you so much. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Take care.